Food for Thought on News Talk 760 WJR is presented by Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan and by the Food Bank Council of Michigan, creating a food-secure state. Here's your host, Dr. Phil Knight. Welcome back to Food for Thought, everyone. Thanks for listening. Four years ago, I met with all the CEOs of the seven food banks here in Michigan, and we began to develop our strategic plan that has evolved into the blueprint to solve hunger in Michigan. One of the clearest understandings we arrived at that day is that we need data. What kind and from where and how would we get it? Well, these were all difficult process questions that we have since answered to a degree and have accumulated key data points that is allowing us to gain strategic insight, operational insight, and client insight. Developing an information strategy allowed us to integrate data into our executive and operational decision-making. The data we accumulated in just four years has moved our network from defining effectiveness simply by the quantity or the number of pounds we distributed to a more insightful model that truly measures our impact at the household level. This model accounts for waste, consumption, and measures the power of a food bank's purchasing ability to the retail value of the food supplied, giving us a true economic impact at the community and the household level. This is evidence-based management at its best. Our data has allowed us to locate food insecure communities, define the meal gap in those communities, and use the information to drive innovative solutions to meet the need. Data-driven decisions allows us to be more in tune with the communities we serve, gauge our own effectiveness, and like your MAPS app, this data will inform us when we arrive at our destination, a food-secure Michigan. Today, our guest is the Vice President for the Center for Applied Research and Action at Feeding America. She's Dr. Erin McDonald, and she'll be with Jerry and I in just a moment. Get in touch with the Food Bank Council of Michigan. Visit fbcmich.org. Welcome back, everyone. It's Food for Thought here on WJR. Dr. Phil Knight here in the studio with Jerry Brisson. Jerry, uh, it's a great day at WJR today. It's a great day at WJR. Always when I'm with you, doctor. Well, it is. But more importantly, Dr. Erin McDonald is our guest today, and she's on our WJR line, and she's uh, in Washington, D.C. Erin, welcome to Food for Thought. Thank you. No, thank you for having me. This is such a thrill to get to, to join both of you. So I'm excited to get to dive in. Well, we're going to do that. And Erin is uh, serving as the vice president of the Center for Applied Research and Action at Feeding America. And uh, that title just, you know, it just talks to me about so much responsibility there, Erin. Uh, so tell us a little bit about yourself um, and uh, introduce really a little bit about what you're doing at Feeding America. Perfect, yeah. Favorite topic. So um, what we're doing at Feeding America is near and dear to my heart. Um, I actually had the pleasure of joining the team um, uh, almost about a year ago at this point, so it's moved quickly. And um, I'm a researcher by training, actually a public health doctor, and so a lot of what many of our food bank um, leaders and members across the country are looking at are many of these intersections of 
food insecurity, hunger, and the resources in their community that they bring to those issues and the solution. I know Jerry is one that um, has been such a champion of a lot of health relationships and looking at the dimension of what's happening in Michigan with health partners, which is exciting to me. So that's you know, an example of where we're really looking at a lot of the questions for research at Feeding America and my team around what do we know from a data and a research perspective that we can help our network um, members and the thought leaders in the communities that we're working with who are really wanting to understand how to best use data and research to address the issue of hunger. So, and I want to just put in a little bit of of a plug for Feeding America here. You know, when people ask me, well, what is Feeding America and what do they do? There's a lot of answers to that question, but one of the most significant is there's 200 food banks. We serve every county in the United States, and we can't afford to repeat the same things over and over and over. We have to learn how to learn together. And Feeding America is such a catalyst for that learning so that we can learn from each other and not repeat you know, mistakes for sure, but also fast track things that have already been learned so we can move to the next step because someone else has already learned that and we can help learn the next thing. And so, Aaron, your work is so important to us. Uh, boots on the ground, food banks. Um, it, it, I just can't say enough how much we appreciate that you're doing what you're doing. Thank you. No, and we, um, and I can speak to this. I know that, you know, coming on as a new team member, um, the team across the board at the organization um, for Feeding America is so incredibly excited about getting to be in communities and work with all of our network members and really has so much personal passion about the issue as well as really wanting to bring their skills and expertise to help address the solution. So it's, you know, having worked across the world and across the country and many different organizations, it's truly a place where people are um, incredibly committed to the issue and really want to think together about how we can help look at solutions and provide information and resources that really address it in a way that is unique to the communities that we work in, which, as both of you know, are so different in how they address those issues and what partners they work with. She's Erin McDonald. She is the vice president of the Center for Applied Research and Action at Feeding America. And Erin, a, a tremendous amount of your work is wrapped up in trying to really understand food insecurity and hunger. In fact, as I was reading the uh, map, the meal gap study, that's the first line in the study. And I, I so appreciated that premise that we're trying to understand it so that we can create positive solutions. Absolutely. Yeah, and I think the the study is incredibly unique in a way that um, it is in its eighth year, and we will be releasing on May 2nd, and it really is a cornerstone research study that um, Feeding America and our Food Bank Network members and other experts across the country have co-created to really understand the issue of food insecurity. The exciting thing about the study is it allows us to really use very rigorous data from across the country that's representative of every single county um, in the United States to be able to actually look at the issue of food insecurity by understanding the different dimensions that have a role 
in that, um, that challenge that people face and being able to provide data at a national level so that we can understand the issue in total, right, which is really important, as well as being able to understand it within individual communities and what we see um, across the board. And we have some really exciting, not just the report and the really interesting findings that come out of it, but really important tools that help different audiences understand and tap into that work. For example, we have a new video that has been released this year that really talks about the issue of food insecurity and helps people understand how to use the study and the resources. We have a really cool um, interactive map that I would love to highlight some of the things that we're seeing in Michigan, which are um, super interesting from a research perspective. And we're additionally actually this year, which is really exciting to me, um, being able to design the study and the report in a way that we release it in different modules um, or chapters so that they're um, quick and easy to interface with so that people can really get excited about a particular issue like health or local food costs and the relationship to food insecurity. Um, and finally, being able to put out some tools that are interactive tools that allow people to understand, for example, um, if there was a difference in unemployment. So if unemployment changed in Michigan, you could actually see through this interactive tool, if you change the, um, the sliding scale, how that would affect total food insecurity, how that would affect child food insecurity, et cetera. So that's just an example of one of a few that we'll be putting out and truly all to be used by all of our, our network members and other people that are really wanting to understand the issue from their perspective. Wow, that is amazing. You know, Jerry, she's putting those in modules so the cookies get on the lower shelf for me and you. <laughs> yeah, uh -huh. I know. I know. And it's nice because when we come back, we're going to talk about cookies a little bit on the lower shelf and how that practically works for us here in Michigan. She's Aaron McDonald. She's the vice president of the Center for Applied Research and Action at Feeding America. He's Jerry Brisson. I'm Dr. Phil Knight. We'll be back in just a moment. You come back and be with us. It's Food for Thought with Dr. Phil Knight on WJR. We're back on Food for Thought, Dr. Phil Knight, Jerry Brisson, and today we're with Erin McDonald. She's the Vice President at the Center for Applied Research and Action at our national office, Feeding America. Erin, it's great to have you here, and uh, the capsule that you gave to us about one of the tremendous data projects that you're leading, you and your team, that's furnishing to our network across the U.S. Um, is this map, the meal gap study. And uh, it is really a powerful study. It is helping us understand hunger and helping us break it down so that we can create solutions for it. And I want to I wanna really emphasize that. You know, when we started this show uh, uh, just over a year ago, one of the things we said we were trying to accomplish is explain to people how you can solve this problem because a lot of people just don't believe it can be solved and so we ask the question frequently do you believe this can be solved because we do and people go how can you believe it'll be solved it's never been solved and map the meal gap is one of the answers to the question how do we believe this can be solved the fact is you can't solve a problem you don't understand unless you're just lucky 
Now, we all get lucky from time to time, but that's not the way to solve a problem like food insecurity. You want to be better than lucky. You want to have the information you need that can help drive practical solutions. So you talked about unemployment being one of the things that we look at to understand what is the need. Mm-hmm. So, so, and then you, you mentioned real clearly that number isn't static. It changes. And what that means to us is that the need changes. So if the need is changing, what we need to know next is where is it changing? For how many people is it changing? Is it seniors? Is it working adults? Is it children? Is it all of those things? Where are they? How many of them are there? Because then we can focus our resources on reaching the problem where it's changed. And so as we create a social safety net, we have to think of that safety net as an adaptable tool. It's not something that's going to always be the same all the time because the factors that create food insecurity change. And so if we're nimble, we'll be able to reach people quicker. And by reaching them quicker, we're going to get them out of their suffering sooner. And that's going to mean what? There's going to be less people in line needing the food because they will have gotten what they needed when they needed it as things change. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And I think that's such an important point, Jerry, because I think that one of the things that we have found um, in times prior to when MAP the Meal Gap existed as a tool for local um, practitioners and food bank leaders and communities was that many people used the poverty rates as a way of understanding local food insecurity. But we know actually that even in um, the most recent data from last, from 2015, that um, if you look at just the, um, that value, we find that it doesn't equally represent the need. And so we know that, for example, 57% of food insecurity food insecure people earn more than the federal poverty level and that 60% of people that are living in households that face, um, who are poor, are also food secure. So if we are able to use a tool that speaks to the local experience, that allows people to understand with the most updated information and data the issue in a way that can unpack that, that we can better serve them, as you're saying. And being able to have a more complex and precise way of understanding that issue from the measure of food insecurity allows us to start to break that down. Well, you're talking about a bucket list item for me, Erin, in that <laughs> to, to, to say that 57% of the people who are struggling with food insecurity have incomes above the poverty level is what motivated us to commission the self-sufficiency standard, which has been completed now for 39 states, um, Mm. and Michigan being the the 39th, and we had Dr. Diana Pierce come to Michigan. She's conducted this study, um, and uh, we, on our website now, fbcmich.org, you can go there, you can click on the tab that says Blueprint and scroll down, and you'll see the self-sufficiency standard, and you can look at 719 different household types, and, and it, it, there's a tableau there that will populate according to the f- household size uh, and, and do this across all 83 counties in Michigan so that we can understand exactly, we're talking about map the meal gap, 
we can understand the gap that people have between the money that they make, the money that they get, and the money that they need in order to be self-sufficient on a monthly and an annual basis. So we're right alongside of you in understanding this problem that the poverty level uh, that is put out by the federal government is obsolete, is old, and it's ineffective. And if you really ask me, I'll tell you what I really think about it. <laughs> Absolutely. I do want to ask you that question. I think that the, um, the, the, what you're speaking to as well and why I think that the work around self-sufficiency is super interesting is because we also know, to Jerry's point, that, you know, and your point as well, that we, we have a part of the solution, right, as food banks, as um, community leaders or community members, and being able to understand the issue – and we understand how to address and serve it because we understand some of those areas that people are facing um, either limitations to their resources or other complexities in their lives that um, create their the ability um, for them to either meet or not meet that um, level of self-sufficiency that they need to be um, healthy and thriving in those communities, which we ultimately all want. I think one of the things that that work and map the meal gap importantly look at as well is also what is the the, the cost for people to live in different communities, right? Mm-hmm. So if we know, for example, in um, Livingston County in Michigan, that the average meal cost for a single person is $2.96. And then we can look at how much people actually um, have resources or have support from other um, public programs that support being able to meet those needs, we can start to understand not just the individual's needs and how they may or may not be meeting that income threshold, but also what that challenge is in that community around what resources cost and then being able to help target how we can better use our food bank and other community resources to be able to address that need or that gap. And then as we overlay the trade-offs people have to make. So when you see a household budget in the self-sufficiency standard, whatever the household makeup is, an, an adult and one child who's an infant versus an adult and one child who's school age versus two adults and two children, right? It, the picture changes and the household budget changes. Well, when you look at that budget, what you're getting a deeper insight into is the trade-offs, right? If I pay for food, what am I not paying for? Am I not paying for rent? Am I not paying for health care? Am I not paying for child care? Am I not having my car repaired? It, it all lines up in that household budget. And by understanding the trade-offs, you then understand the tools you need in your tool bag to create sufficiency. And you also understand how much self-sufficiency is created by just solving the food issue. So it really does break down into practical solutions and practical tools and helps helps us identify who are the partners that need to be at the table. So if child care is the single biggest budget item that's not taken care of in Livingston County, well, we know we've got to bring partners to the table who are addressing that issue if we want to address, ultimately, self-sufficiency for Livingston County. She's Erin McDonald. She is the Vice President of the Center for Applied Research and Action at Feeding America. He's Jerry Brisson. He's the CEO and president at Gleaners Community Food Bank here in Detroit. I'm Dr. Phil Knight, and you and I are going to be back in just a minute to continue to hear Aaron and Jerry discuss this map the meal gap, self-sufficiency, and how do we really come to the place where we take hunger off the table for people 
so they can solve a lot of their own problems themselves. Come back and be with us. This is Food for Thought on WJR. You're listening to Food for Thought with Dr. Phil Knight. Brought to you by Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan and the Food Bank Council of Michigan. Thanks for listening, everyone. It's Food for Thought. Jerry Brisson, Dr. Phil Knight, and Dr. Aaron McDonald here with us. And Aaron, um, you're, you and your team leading this MAP, the Meal Gap Study, on behalf of Feeding America. Um, 200 food banks across the U.S. that Jerry talked about a little bit earlier. We serve every county in America. You guys talked a little bit about how we're applying that, but I would like to ask you to talk a little bit about how do we get the study? I mean, where does this data come from? What's kind of the methodology behind that, and what gives us such a high confidence in the study? Great. No, that's such one of my favorite questions. So I love getting into the details of actually how do we make all of this, um, these pieces come together and make it really relevant for people. So the, the, my team at Feeding America um, has been developing and putting out the, re- the study for eight years, as we shared. And um, two of the folks that I just want to acknowledge in that work um, who have really been at the helm of really thinking about and leading the work are um, Amy Crumba and Adam Dewey, who are on my team, who oversee and lead all of the work. We work very closely with a number of experts in the field, one of which is um, Dr. Craig Gunderson from the University of Illinois. And Craig is a leading economist and expert around the issue of food insecurity. And with Craig and other experts, the study was originally developed and what we do every year is we use the, the federal national data from the USDA and the BLS, which is the Bureau of Labor Statistics, and we use that data to be able to um, pull in the information that we need from both the, from the national and the county level. We generate two types of community-level data from those different um, pieces of information that come to us which are the county-level food insecurity and child food insecurity estimates um, by the different categories of people's or households' income, and second, an estimate of the food budget shortfall or that the food insecure, that food insecure individuals report that they experience. So how much does a person report that they need to be able to meet their, um, their budget shortfall for food, for purchasing food on a regular basis? The other piece of information that we pull in is in partnership with um, Nielsen, which is a, um, an organization that actually looks across the world but has very deep work um, in, uh, domestically in the, the United States where they really look at cost of food. So all, all of those barcodes and the grocery stores, all of those different pieces of information that we interface with every day, that they have insight on the cost of food and the types of food, and they actually provide that information information to us so that we can understand what is the cost of a a meal or a basket of food um, for a family and then for an individual in every single county across the United States. So all of that information comes together, and we then, um, there's a lot of formulas and data that sit behind um, this bigger, this bigger um, approach where we can then calculate based on best practice and very rigorous data standards how to actually take all of that information and put it through a model where we create estimates 
and um, what's considered coefficients to be able to estimate for every single county in the country what that rate of food insecurity is for um, both the total population and for children. And then we can look at different factors that have a relationship to that experience of food insecurity in those different places. So a very scientific approach. And I just want to say that is such a huge advancement in this work over the last 10 or 15 years to really use the skills of researchers to help us understand what is the scope and where is this problem and where does it exist? And I want to make a point here because when you say for every county in the United States, there are still people that believe that this problem doesn't exist in every county in the United States. But this study shows clearly and definitively and very rigorously that in fact, there is food insecurity in every single county in the United States. Now, it's not at the same rate and it's not the same numbers of people, but the the, the truth is this problem is closer to home than you might think. That's so right. Yeah. And we see that, um, so in every county, in every congressional district, if you want to slice it in a different way, that this is an issue that exists for all of our communities. And we know that there's in 2015, the rate ranged all the way from 14% um, for the overall population and 21% amongst children. And we see that across all of the states, we have a range from 7% of those people in the community that experience food insecurity all the way up to in a certain and to other another state, 21.5%. Um, so we have quite a range in how in every county and then in every state, there is such a difference in how people are experiencing this issue and the number of people in total that are experiencing it. So one of the things we talk about, again, is we talk about data and we try to make it real. How does data become real? So let's take a look at third grade reading level. How can you expect kids to reach third grade reading level when you know 21% of kids are food insecure? How can you expect to solve that problem and have hungry kids going into school every day, right? That's what data helps you explain to people. You want to solve third grade reading level? I'll tell you, you can throw 100 teachers at that kid, and if they're hungry, they're not going to learn. Well, your legislature can put that expectation on the school system in every type of, of, of amendment and draft and piece of legislation that they care to do so, but if they don't give them the tools to address Again, Abraham Maslow's hierarchy of need, air, water, food, physiological need, food here. Unless food is first, then they cannot reach that level. It's impossible. It won't happen. And by having the study and a rigorous set of data to use, we can actually create change or convince people it needs to be created, then implement that change, and then go back to the data the next year and say, did the data change? Yeah. Right. Did the data change? And that tells us if what we're doing is working. And that's so important if you want to solve a problem. That's right. And we also understand the relationships, right, that a lot of what we're seeing in different communities, the 
the the impact of food insecurity that you're saying. So um, being able to thrive in different communities, being able to be healthy and feel secure. So all of those pieces are so related to these numbers and what we understand, even the level of home ownership, right? It's really interesting if you think about the connections to those basic needs and then if you build upon that, right, as Maslow's hierarchy does, being able to look at what is the effect of not having things at that very foundational level of what we understand all of us individually and then everyone in our community need. So being able to have that insight to bring to our own work at the food bank, bring to our partners to say, this is actually an issue that you really need to care about, right, Jerry? I think one of the things that you found very clearly is in working in partnerships that taking those numbers and that conversation to health partners and to other folks in your community to say, this is a shared concern for all of us. And how do we all get around this issue and think about what are these numbers telling us and how we can all really address it together? Right. We say, who wins when we win? Right. Who wins when the problem is solved? And the data points clearly to who might win. And, you know, I really want to hear from you. If you were going to say the two most interesting things that you think we're going to learn in the next year, what would you put at the top of that list? Oh, that's such a great one. Um, So with the release this year, I think that one of the things that um, as we're really digging into the data, two of the really interesting headlines to start to pay attention to are we know overall that food insecurity is actually, um, it's still very high. So we know that 42 million people as of 2015, and that's including 13 million children in the United States, were facing food insecurity. So that's one in every eight people or one in every six children. And what we've seen is that over the last number of years, there have been um, important improvements in these numbers. So we're seeing a decline. However, the rate of food insecurity remains higher than before the recession in 2007. So we know that we have a long way to go. One of the things that, you know, in setting that point up for what to look ahead to is that for those people that are experiencing food insecurity, we know that they are increasingly having a harder time to make ends meet. So we know that for those people that have challenges around self-sufficiency or enough access to resources, that this continues to become harder and harder. So I think that's one of the headlines to continue to look for and understand um, in our practice, in our policies, um, how do we actually look at those communities and those individuals or families that just that are not able for a lot of different reasons to be able to sustain um, their ability to, to access food in a way that helps them thrive consistently. Um, the other piece that I think is super interesting is to look, is the patterns that we're seeing right across the country and where a lot of these um, challenges for different communities live. We know that actually that food insecurity is really present in rural communities and actually um, in many ways and more often than not is um, a higher rate in the south when we look at regions across the country. And so if we look at the patterns of how food insecurity is moving across the country and then we overlay these other issues of health challenges or access to other resources or supportive um, benefits, you know, that are helping people to access food or other resources, for example, SNAP, that we are able to really look at um, the headline that we're seeing around the fact that there are so many clear relationships to other issues that we're addressing um, through food insecurity by providing resources 
but that people have a range of other challenges in their life that they're having to address as well or make those trade-offs for. So those are two of the places that I think are really on our minds right now, um, and we'll continue to really um, be able to share those out in the next few weeks, actually, um, as the report is, is starting to get launched with the network and then publicly. Awesome. She's Erin McDonald, Dr. Erin McDonald, the Vice President of the Center for Applied Research and Action at Feeding America. She's been our guest today here on Food for Thought. Erin, there's so much here, so much more exciting news coming that we're going to have to ask you to come back on the show later in the summer and talk to us a little bit about an update and then how the launch has gone and what, what we're beginning to see. And I love the discussion about patterns. Would love, love, love to do that. So I truly appreciate both of you being such champions of these questions and issues and using data. So you are part of my, you know, fan club there. I really appreciate both of you thinking about the issue from that perspective, because I think that we can learn so much together if we take a look at it from what we have insight about. So thank you for having me. Thank you for being such committed um, partners in this effort that we're all leading on. She's Aaron McDonald. He's Jerry Brisson. I'm Dr. Phil Knight. We'll be right back in just a moment. It's Food for Thought with Dr. Phil Knight, presented by the Food Bank Council of Michigan. Once again, here's Dr. Phil Knight. We're back to wrap up Food for Thought here. Jerry Brisson, Dr. Phil Knight. That was Dr. Erin McDonald. Yeah, Erin is terrific. I, I have met her several times. I've worked with her on a few projects. I presented with her at the Fall Leadership Forum at Feeding America, and I will tell you, um, she's really, really smart, and and it really helps us. I mean, not that we're not smart, but who has time? to dig into all that information that's out there. And so having someone who's really good at it and dedicated to it, helping us while our feet are on the ground trying to make that work is invaluable. So it was great hearing from her. And I hope um, everyone can get a sense of just how sophisticated the information is we have to work with and how that's going to help us break this problem down and solve this problem. Yeah, so let's look at this for at the 30,000-foot view for just a minute. Just to distinguish us and our work, I mean, I appreciate a lot of great people doing a lot of great things, right? But to have data-driven model here is pretty spectacular and I think separates food banks in the nonprofit world from other people doing great work, great hearts, great work. But really to boil this down into the science behind what we're trying to do and how that's feeding into our decisions, I think really sets us apart. And I really think all of us need to need to learn how to do this better. I mean, what's going to enable us to solve difficult social problems is how well we can apply information to solve the problem. And and I think most nonprofits recognize that now, that, you, that you're only going to get so far on charity alone. Now, there's a lot you can do with charity, and a lot is being done, and that's always going to be important to us. But if you really want to solve problems, you got to get beyond that, and you really have to say, okay, let's get to the basics. How big is the problem? Who's having it? And what do they need? And mm -hmm. once you get there, then you can start breaking it down. 
group by group by group. So so she talked about health care, and that is a significant area to look at because a lot of people with health problems are food insecure. That's a great thing to know and to know how many and where they are so we can start working with health systems to solve both our problems and theirs. Well, and then, you know, just the other week we talked about the, we rated the five healthiest and unhealthiest states, the five most obese states and, you know, the least obese states and, and, and applied that all, as your example in the show, to third grade reading level. Right. And we figured out that Michigan is the 34th healthiest state or unhealthiest state, ever how you want to phrase that. And we're 35th in reading level. You know, and oh, by the way, we're fourth in obesity. Right. So there's there's correlations, and then if you're not doing the data, you don't under you don't understand that there is correlations or what those correlations are. And a pound isn't a pound. You know, we got to be nutritious in the food we provide. It can't just be anything, because otherwise we're creating problems that cost money to solve, and we want to solve problems, not create problems. We do. And so, Jerry, it's time for a little food for thought. The first responsibility of leadership is to define reality. And that's what Dr. Erin McDonald and her team at Feeding America is doing with the MAP, the Meal Gap study. They want to help us understand what hunger is, what it looks like, and who's struggling with it. It seems on the surface to be both simple and complex. It's food, right? But yet the solutions, while seemingly straightforward, are often difficult to implement. Let me borrow a Winston Churchill quote, hunger is a riddle wrapped in a mystery inside an enigma. But no matter how difficult it might be to solve or how seemingly impossible, Jerry and I and our network are convinced that hunger can come off the table. And it has to for 42 million Americans. It's simply unacceptable. Thanks for listening. Find us at foodsecuremichigan.org and catch up on all of our shows. And special thanks to our guest today, Dr. Aaron McDonald. Jerry and I will be back next week here on WJR for another edition of Food for Thought. Until then, remember, it's food first, folks. Food first. Food for Thought has been a presentation of Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan and the Food Bank Council of Michigan, creating a food-secure state.